Go ahead and dismiss the kids ages four years old through fourth grade for Children's Church, four years old through fourth grade. While they're heading out, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter number nine. Acts chapter number nine. <laughs> it's nice to see kids policing themselves. So I can hear no running over and over again. <laughs> so, okay. Acts chapter number nine. And we're just going to reread those, those few verses, 23 through 31. And we'll open up in a word of prayer this morning. Acts chapter 9, verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way 
and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that your word is so practical and it meets so many of our needs within the church and within our lives. And, and I just pray that this message will be a challenge and encouragement to all of us. Lord, to act like Barnabas. We've looked at him in other ways in other passages, but this passage shows us a whole other side of Barnabas that I think many of us forget. I pray that you give us a heart that yearns to be like this. Father, help me as I preach your word. Fill me with your spirit and allow me to clearly convey the thoughts that you want to be preached today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off with a question. Do you remember your first time at Harvest Hills Baptist Church? What it was like coming into this building? What emotions you felt at that moment? Maybe you've been here forever. I mean, Pastor Carson, you guys have been here for 30 years. So maybe you don't remember. No. So you guys do remember, though, so it's a little different. But maybe you've been here so long you've forgotten what it was like. But imagine, like, when you're on vacation and you're traveling and you visit another church. What does that feel like for you, right? What made it easier for you to feel comfortable within a church. I think a lot of times we, when, we ha when we go into a new church, we're very uncomfortable. We're very awkward with things because we don't know anybody. We don't know how things operate. Um, I mean, imagine coming to our church and you don't know how to read music and you sing out of our hymn books and you've never heard some of these songs like, who is this Ron Hamilton guy, okay? You, you don't have a clue who, about any of this stuff. What, how did you feel at those moments, you know? And honestly... For most people coming into church, it's a totally new experience. Most, most people in the world are not churched. You come in here, the terminology is different, the songs are weird and different, and uh, most, people, most people just don't, they don't know when to stand, they don't know when to sit, especially if you've been to more formalistic churches. Did you know Greek Orthodox churches, they stand the entire time? Would you guys like to do that? What they do for the older people is they give them a board. They lean against this board the whole time. Okay, so, but they stand the entire service. Um, but we, it, there's different traditions and different types of churches, and churches all function different, you know? And so when you come in here, it's just a little strange. It's just a little awkward coming in. And then the offering plates, especially during COVID, okay? When the offering plates are being passed around, you might already be a little bit leery about all these types of things. I remember when our family first came to Harvest Hills Baptist Church. We had been in a bad church and a bad church experience, okay? And we needed a place where we could come and we could find healing. And this church was that for us. And what made it easier for us to transition to Harvest Hills Baptist Church was we knew people here. That made the, that made the difference for us. We already had friends here, and so that transition was, was easier. Now, we didn't join right away because we were skittish about committing to a church that we, were, we, we didn't know very well, you know? But eventually, God knit our heart with the people of this church, and we became part of that family. And I think, again, what made it easier is those relationships that we already had with people. And so as we look at Acts chapter 9 today, just a few verses, 
we're going to be highlighting this idea of what we call assimilation. I'll give you a definition for it a little bit later, okay? Assimilation within the church. Last week we preached on the salvation experience of Paul on the road to Damascus and how God appeared to him, Jesus Christ appeared to him and, and revealed that he was the Messiah. Jesus Christ was the Messiah to, to Paul. And we believe that Paul placed his faith in Jesus on that road to Damascus. Now imagine being the Christians in Damascus, starting in verse number 23, kind of describes their experience receiving Paul in Damascus, says, and after that many, day, many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known to Saul, and they watched the gates by day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Saul had come here. The, really, this is the irony of it all. Saul had come here to persecute this church, this group of believers. And yet Saul is so dramatically saved and changed, and they, they have received him in the church of Damascus, that when there are threats against his life, the church of Damascus takes it upon themselves to lower him over the wall and to rescue him. They had received him into their midst. But because of this persecution, Paul is having to leave. He's having to go somewhere else. And we see that he travels afterwards to Jerusalem. Um, in verse number 26, it says, But when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So Paul goes down to Jerusalem, and this kind of makes sense because it's where he had come from. This is his home. He's returning home when he goes back to Jerusalem. The text doesn't tell us why he chose there, but him going home makes perfect logical sense. And as he returns to Jerusalem, he wants to be part of a church. And what's the church in Jerusalem? The church of Jerusalem, right? That's, that's the church he wants to join, he wants to become a member of, he wants to be a part of in his hometown of Jerusalem. But it says here that when he comes to Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem was not like the church in Damascus. Church in Damascus, they'd seen the radical transformation. You know, Jerusalem, they, they didn't know any of that. They didn't see any of that. They had just heard what Paul was like. And in verse 26, it says of the second half, but they, the church of Jerusalem, were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So there's a problem here. The church of Jerusalem doesn't want to let Paul into their church. You know, they don't want to accept him into their church. And that makes perfect sense. If you had a guy who you knew had been killing Christians, okay, and threatening to kill Christians, you probably would be a little le leery about letting him into the church, right? Because even if he said he was a Christian, he might be just playing a game, right, to try to find out, okay, who are all these Christians? I'm going to go undercover, right? And so the church at Jerusalem is, they're, they're not willing to let him come in. And here we see, really, that even though their, their leeriness is understandable, the end result is they became an unwelcoming, unreceiving type of church. They were not willing to receive and to welcome him into their midst. But Luke tells us why. Why were they an unwelcoming church? And in this text, he gives us two reasons. The first one is fear. One of the reasons that we can sometimes become unwelcoming to people who are coming in who are strangers is fear. And for the church of Jerusalem, the fear that they experienced is different than the fear that oftentimes we experience, but the motivation is oftentimes the same. Church of Jerusalem, they were afraid of a physical fear. They were afraid for their lives, right? Okay? 
But for us, honestly, I think we can deal with this issue of fear as well. And I've mentioned this before, it may surprise you, but I am not naturally a people person, okay? I am afraid to talk to people. I am socially awkward. You do know that much, okay? So <laughs> when I try to com communicate with people, I don't know what to say. And inside of me, there is a raging fear of how to talk to people. And I think a lot of us struggle with this. It's a fear of social interactions because we don't know these people. We don't know what they think. We don't know what they like. We, and we're just awkward with communicating. Give me a piece of paper. Great. I can write down a whole bunch of thoughts on a piece of paper. Give me a computer. I can communicate with you on a computer because I don't have to look at you. Okay. So, but I have this fear of social interactions. Maybe it's a fear of the response. You're afraid of what they're going to say. I think usually this is why we're afraid to go witnessing a lot of times. Because we're afraid we're going to knock on the door and the guy's going to have a PhD from Yale and uh, he's going to be a college professor and he's going to have all these answers for why Christianity can't be true and we're not going to have answers for it. So we're afraid of what his response is going to be, right? Well, it's, I mean, are you expecting that in church? But anyways, okay. We have a fear of the response of the person when we go up and we talk to him. Maybe some people just are antisocial and they don't want to be talked with, okay? There's a, there's, a, there's a case to be made for that, that maybe you should leave them alone, but, but that doesn't mean you don't try. That doesn't mean you don't go over there and at least try to broach a conversation, right? Don't let the fear of their response keep you from being welcoming. Maybe it's a fear of change. Okay, I've, I've known this. I, I knew a, there was an older, older man actually in Katie's dad's church, and he was afraid of visitors coming in because he liked the fact that the church was small and he didn't want the church to get bigger and change and things would be different because new people mean new ideas. New people mean new faces, right? And maybe you have a fear of change. You don't want things to be different than they were before. And so that, that can affect you. Maybe it's a fear of difference. This goes along with the idea of the fear of change. People are different. We're all different. We're all strange in our own little ways, right? Okay. And with, God has placed us within the body of Christ together, even though we have those differences. In fact, um, God has called the church to be united in those differences. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 talks about the different body parts within the church. The eye, the ear, likening it to a body. The eye, the ear, the nose, the, the hand, all, the, all these different body parts. They have different functions. They're different. They, the, God has given everybody different spiritual abilities, right? And so within the church, there are meant to be differences, but sometimes we're not used to that. You think of people who walk in the doors and maybe they don't dress the same. Maybe they don't think the same about things. Does that mean they can't be a member of our church because they are different from us? Do we expect everybody to be mature, born again, uh, perfect believers the first day that they walk in the doors? I think passively we do because we give more attention to the ones who are more like us, who, are com who have more commonality to, to us. I'm not saying Harvest Hills, I'm saying in general, okay, here. But there is oftentimes a fear of difference in the way that we approach people. We're afraid to talk to somebody who, is di who might look differently than us, right? Uh, there's also a fear of the emotional and the personal cost that it is going to take to develop a relationship with this person. These things don't happen magically, right? Okay, you have to put work into relationships. Your marriages, right? Are those, they just naturally clicked and you've been perfectly happy for 30 years? Is that how it happened, Pastor Garcis? Have you been perfectly married for 30 years without any, any struggles? 
pretty close to it. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So, but it's it's not it's not naturally that way. You know, you have to develop relationships over time. Even the best of friends have disagreements and fights at times, right? And they have to work through those things. And so when you develop relationships with people who walk in our doors, it's going to cost you time and it's going to cost you emotional effort, especially for somebody like me who is an introvert and has to force himself to go walk across the aisle to talk to somebody. There is a personal cost to developing relationships. But in Jerusalem, their fear was a physical fear. They feared for their lives, and we can understand that, but it doesn't excuse the end result, ultimately. Okay? The, second re- the second reason that they became an unwelcoming church, it says here, was because they doubted. Verse, verse 25, 26 again, second half. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Again, that makes sense. Maybe he's undercover, and he's just trying to get a list of names of everybody he sees here so he can kill them, right? They had doubts. Not everybody that comes in our doors and says they are Christians is truly a Christian, right? Can we understand that? We can all agree on that. But do we allow our doubts to cause us to put a wall or a barrier between us? I think a lot of times we can become jaded as well, especially if you've been at a church for a while and you see people come and you see people go. So why bother investing the effort into building relationships with people you just know? They're probably here today. They'll be gone tomorrow, right? Okay, that's doubt is what it is. You don't know. You're doubting whether they're going to stay. And so you allow that doubt to impact whether you're going to invest yourself in developing a relationship with that person who has come through the doors. And so these two reasons here have highlighted why they were not a welcoming church to the apostle Paul as he comes in. And as understandable as it is, the solution was not to act the, the, the way that they did. And we'll see that. Luke highlights the difference in the proper, proper response in just a second here. So in, the, in this text, we see how Saul became accepted in the church. It provides an example for us um, as well when other believers want to join our assembly. Okay? If we look at uh, verse number 27 here, we will see Barnabas' example. It says, note, notice the first word of verse 27, big, huge, but, right? There's a but right there. That means Luke is contrasting what the church of Jerusalem did with what Barnabas did. Okay? And honestly, he is promoting what Barnabas did and saying that the response of the church was not quite right. Okay? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto, unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Okay? Now we've seen Barnabas in the past. We've seen that Barnabas is a, was a good and a godly man. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through 37, said, And Joseph, that's his real name, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So from that text, we see three things about Barnabas. We, we already know this coming in to this passage here. First of all, he was a giving person. Barnabas was the, was the type of person who was selfless. He would give of himself to help others. But from that, you see this, that he is he's selfish and he, he is selfless and he is concerned for others. That's, that's the heart. Oftentimes, people who are giving 
show a concern for other people. And these are the type of people that God's going to use in this type of ministry within the church. The giving person. Also, he was an encourager. Notice what he was called. He was called the son of consolation. Okay? Consolation is encouragement. Barnabas was a man who came along others and encouraged them to keep on going. The idea behind this Greek word here is to come alongside somebody. Okay? To encourage them. <clears throat> to keep on going and not to quit. That was the type of person that Barnabas was. And really, just these first two points, you already see he has a concern for people. He is a people person, right? He was also a leader. In our text, we see a man, in this text here, in Acts chapter 9, we see a man who is willing to do what was right, even though other people weren't willing to do it. The rest of the church wasn't comfortable with this. But Barnabas was. Barnabas took the lead. And he did something that nobody else was comfortable with doing. And so we need men like Barnabas. But this, this is the type of man that God is going to use. But let's look at his example in verse number 27 here. These characteristics that made Barnabas the man that he was. A man who is willing to receive even the worst of sinners upon their profession of faith into, into the fellowship of the church. That was the type of man that Barnabas was. According to verse 27, tells us exactly what he did. How, how did this work in the life of Barnabas? First thing he did, Barnabas took him. He took him. The idea is to seize somebody, to grab them, okay? I probably don't do that in, during the handshaking time, go up and grab somebody and seize them, okay? But, but the idea also carries with, with it the idea of assisting them or taking them under your wing, okay? So what we see, first of all, the, the way Barnabas approached Paul was he established a personal relationship with him. He made it his goal to take Bar Paul under his wing. Okay? And, and, we, and we need that within the church. Barnabas saw that what Saul's need was, and he sought to help out. That's the first step in assimilating people into the life of the church. It's for you to develop and take a personal interest in that person and make it your job to build a relationship with them. Someone has to step up, right? Somebody has to do this. Somebody has to step up and say, I'm going to build relationships with people even when I'm afraid. Do you think Paul, Barnabas was any less afraid of death and all these other things? No, I think Barnabas probably had this in the back of his mind still, right? Barnabas was willing to do it even though he was afraid. He didn't let fear keep him from doing the right thing. I am fully convinced of this. No one will ever stay at a church if they do not feel like they can belong. Basic, simple. I mean, it's not a spiritual reason, but it's a common reason. If you don't believe you can belong here, you ain't staying. It just ain't happening. You'll find somewhere else where you feel like you belong, right? And Barnabas developed that relationship with him so that Paul could feel like he belonged within this church. And this is more than just saying hello during the handshaking times. That's, that's good. I am so glad Scarlet Hills is a grateful, a welcoming body of believers, right? And I was so glad when we were able to reintroduce the handshaking time because there's, there's so much excitement between you guys getting to talk and see everybody. I can't even get you guys to stop before we start the services, you know? Okay, so that, that is a great thing. But it is more than just hello. 
People need relationships with you. They need you to cross that bridge. Invite them over for dinner. We'll talk about some practical suggestions a little bit later. Build true relationships with people, okay? Barnabas was willing to cross the aisle and to make this connection with Saul. That's the first step. He took Paul. And then it says, and he brought him to the apostles, okay? So this next stage is Barnabas sought to build connections. I'm going to be honest. I have tried to follow Barnabas' example since we've been at Harvest Hills Baptist Church. This has been something I have tried really hard to do okay, as a church member before I became pastor. But there's only so much emotional energy and only so much time that one person can do to build these relationships. You need more than one person involved in this. Really, what it comes down to is this. You need a church. You need the church to do this, right? Um, otherwise, I'm going to burn out or somebody else is going to burn out. We all ought to be trying to do this type of thing. And so what Barnabas did is he sought to build connections between them and other people. He has Paul come in, and everybody's afraid of, of Paul, but he tries to build a connection with, specifically in this text, the apostles, okay, with the, with the leaders. In Galatians 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul, describing his testimony, said, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other of the apostles sigh none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. So Paul actually only met two of the apostles. He met Peter and he met James, which if you know James, James is the pastor of this church. Okay? So he met Peter and he met James. But Barnabas' role in assimilating Paul into the life of the church was to try and build bridges between him and the other members of the church so that they could feel fully connected. It's kind of like if you have build, building Legos, okay? Or, uh, yeah, let's just use Legos, okay? You got, you got a set of Legos and you're building this big, big, huge house and you've got one of those big flat pieces like you're building a garden or something like that. If I take one Lego and I put it over here and there's a little bit gap between it and the house and I put one little bridge over there, okay? It's good, it's connected to the house, right? But is that house going to be pretty strong if I've just got that one little Lego over there attached by one little piece? No, I need the whole house fitting together with that one little piece if I'm going to have a strong Lego house. Otherwise, Andrew's going to come along and smash it, and there goes my house, okay? He could do that anyways. <laughs> so, okay. But you need more connections to that brick for that house to be strong, okay? This, this determines life of the church. Health of the church is how connected each and every one of us are to each other. Not just, okay, I've got, like, Reka, you're my, you're my friend, and, and, and I'm Reka's friend, okay? But if, if that's the only connection Reka has, it's still not healthy. It's still not good. Reka needs connections with Sean and, uh, and with uh, Jim and Tanya and with Pastor Carsey's and Mrs. Carsey's, right? We need all of these connections for the church to be healthy the way it ought to be. And so Barnabas sought to build connections between Paul and and in this text, the apostles here. He needs to broaden the sphere of their relationships, okay? Now, the third thing he, t he does in trying to assimilate Paul into the life of the church, says he took him, brought, took him under his wing, and he brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, what is this? He is speaking on behalf of Paul. He is advocating for Paul. Again, these people were afraid. What is Barnabas trying to do? He's trying to break down those walls that they had built up. 
the fear, the doubt that they allowed to separate them from this person who is coming into the church. Paul or Barnabas is trying to break down that fear by telling them that this man truly is saved, leaving their doubts, letting him, letting him know that he, he, his experience, he gives them his testimony. Notice it isn't even Paul giving the testimony here. It's Barnabas giving Paul's testimony and how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. But not only his spiritual testimony of salvation, he gives him his testimony of how, of the, how he acted after he got saved. The proof is in the pudding, right? Okay, Paul's evidence of his salvation, part of that was that he boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus in Damascus. And Barnabas tells the church, this is, this is what, what is true of Paul. So he took him under wing. He built a personal relationship. He built bridges to other people within the church. And he sought to advocate for him by breaking down those walls of fear and those walls of doubt. Now, this, this is what I'm trying to say here, okay? For Harvest Hills Baptist Church to be a healthy church, we need to be a whole church, not divided into groups and cliques and not people keeping other people at arm's length. We need people who will actively take it upon themselves to assimilate visitors and new members into the life of the church. And this was the example of Barnabas, a godly man. Now, the second point here, I want to talk about this word assimilation. Okay, I've used it over and over and over again. What does this mean, to assimilate something? <clears throat> Barnabas serves as the perfect example of assimilation in this church. In fact, F.F. F. Bruce in his commentary called Barnabas a sponsor of Saul. That's the idea of assimilating. He is a sponsor. I like that term because it carries the idea of someone who personally takes on a visitor to the church and seeks to help them transition into the life of the church, okay? That's, that's what's going on here. That's what the meaning of assimilation is, okay? Before someone becomes a member of a church, they have to see themselves as potentially belonging there. No one joins a church on purpose where the church is unfriendly, uninviting, or distant, okay? That's just one step right there. They, may be, they have to believe that they can have a family there. And while there is some definite, like I said, I said, there is some definite growth that Harvest Hills could experience in this area but I do believe that is a welcoming church we are we're good at the greeting we're good at the welcoming part but where we sometimes drop the ball is at the assimilation part of this process building the relationships I can think of one example of a young couple they came for months actually months they were here and um, they're no longer here I can't and on my hand this is the I'm Accusing myself here, okay? So I can't think of a single time that I went to them and talked to them at that point. And I imagine that was the case. I've saw it to be the case in a lot of other situations. I remember a stinky homeless guy comes in, okay? Not the guy that Andrew drove home, different guy. Okay, so how did most people respond to in that situation? We avoided him, okay? And mostly we're good, but there have been bad. There have been times when we did the wrong thing, and we need to own up to that. We need to accept that as truth. And as a church, we are called to more than that. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we need to be striving for. And, but overall, Harvest Hills Baptist Church is a generally very welcoming, very friendly church, and I'm grateful for that. The process of bringing visitors into the life and culture of the church before and after they become members is more than just welcoming, though. We need to do more than that. 
the goal of assimilation, first of all, should be to see souls saved. Because a lot of the people who come in our doors may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, and they, need, they need to know that more than they know anything else about our church. So the goal of assimilation should be to get them to be saved. It should also be to promote spiritual growth in their lives. People don't grow in isolation. They grow in community. That's why we have a church. You could stay home and read your Bible if we didn't need church. What's the, what's the benefit of church? It's other people, okay? That's, that's, why we, that's why we need to be here. And they, the people who walk in this door, they either need to be saved or they need to grow spiritually. And the only way that's going to happen is if they f- get connected to the church. And everyone is going to be on a spectrum along this journey. Different churches have different models for how they view assimilation and church membership. These two things are kind of related. Traditional churches call what we call, follow what we call a bounded set model. I know I'm getting technical here. I won't spend a whole lot of time. But a bounded set model basically means in order to belong to this church, you need to be saved and baptized. There are parameters, right? And we believe this biblically. If you want to join the church, you need to be saved and baptized by immersion, okay? And the idea here is that when you have cattle on your land, you want those cattle, you want to know which cattle are yours, what are you going to do? These days, at least, you're going to build a fence, right? You build a fence. The, the cattle that are inside, this is, this is, these are my cattle. This is my church, okay? So the cattle that are on the outside, those are not, okay? Now, in more contemporary churches, they follow what they call a centered set model. They don't have church membership. They, they believe in elevating Jesus Christ and drawing people to him, and by that, lost people will get saved, and they'll get into the life of the church, but they have no boundaries. That's not biblical. We've already looked at this. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as be, should be saved. And then Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then there's another passage that talks about adding to the names of the people. We already saw that scripture presents a biblical foundation for a bounded set model of church membership, okay? But the best, church me- the best church model for this is a bounded set, but it's a sli- with a slight modification, okay? A better model is a bounded set model that draws men to Christ and into the fellowship of the believers. You can have, th- when you have a bounded set model, you can have this mentality, we are our people, and you guys are the outsiders, and we don't want anything to do with you. That's the danger, okay? A biblical model would be to lift up Christ and draw men to, to him, and then see them saved, see them get baptized, and then draw them into the life of the church, okay? Now, practical suggestions for assimilating people into the church. There are two stages to this. There are people who aren't saved and aren't members, and then there are people who are members and need to be more into it brought into the life of the church. The first step bef- before joining the church, uh, we already do this, greeting visitors, right? We have people who stand at the door and greet people who come in the door. We have handshaking times, and you guys do a great job at this. Chick-fil-A, okay, but this is my experience. I use Chick-fil-A a lot, okay? So, but in Chick-fil-A, we actually, in our company, had, and we were one of the most lucrative, so we could afford to do this, okay? So, but we actually had a guy that we paid, and his only job was to walk around and talk to people. He was an old retired 
Baptist Methodist. So I'll, I'll put a hyphen there. Baptist <laughs> Methodist preacher, okay? And he, he would go around and he would talk to people to make them feel welcome into the restaurant. It's the reason Chick-fil-A makes the money that they do, right? It's not that their chicken is greater than everybody else's because there are other places that have just as good chicken, right? You can argue with me later. But, <laughs> but the reason people come to Chick-fil-A is because of the welcoming environment that they come across when they walk through the doors. The better Chick-fil-A's are better at this. That's what distinguishes Chick-fil-A from other places. Greeting the visitors, talking to the visitors, right? Don't just say hello and then never say another word to them. We need to talk to them, okay? Now, it gets more personal here. Start inviting them out to coffee. Something small, something easy. Coffee is not in, the, it's not in your home. It's not in their home. It's a little less obtrusive, uh, intrusive into their lives. You can just have a casual conversation and get to know them. Or inviting them to church activities. We had church volleyball, right? Okay. A great way to do this, invite them to join the volleyball teams. Okay. Uh, and then, obviously, witnessing to them. In the case of Paul and Barnabas, Paul was already a Christian. But believers in Jerusalem didn't know that, right? And so somebody, if, they want, if they're coming into the church, we want to make sure that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because even if they go somewhere else, that's what matters. That's ultimately what we need. Now, after they join the church, okay, getting them into the life of the church could include discipleship programs. Not everybody knows what the Bible teaches about XYZ topics. You might need to go through and teach them what, the, what does the Bible say about these things. But building friendships and relationships over time, okay? Um, a lot of times that, that begins at the membership. There's, there's always seems to be a barrier when somebody doesn't want to join because in a way it's passively like saying, I don't feel comfortable being a part of you at this time. But at least there's a yet there, okay? <laughs> so at least there's a yet. But build those friendships and build those relationships as much as possible. And then involving them in ministry opportunities, whether it's nursery or ushering, soul winning. Not, every, not everybody's called to all these things, but church projects. I think most of us could do like, let's go hammer a nail and build something in the back, back of the yard of the church. Um, choir, if, they're, if they have musical abilities, uh, children's church, but getting them plugged in to the life of the church. Not every ministry is intended for everybody. And everyone has, but everybody has a ministry, right? We've talked about this. You have a spiritual gift that God has given you to bless and to benefit and to edify the church. And you ought to be looking for opportunities to use those spiritual gifts. And our, part of our role of getting you into the life of the church is to help build those opportunities for you. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 9 here. Let's look at the results, okay? Because Barnabas was willing to do this. He was willing to assimilate the big, scary Saul of Tarsus, okay? What were the results within the church? <clears throat> and verse number, nope, verse number 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. So the result here, first of all, churches had rest. Makes sense. Paul was the one threatening them, Right? So they've, they've relieved some of that issue. No longer is he persecuting the church. And Paul has actually put the Jews on the defense. Because here is a man who is part of the Sanhedrin. And he is able to adequately argue that Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And to convince people of these things. He was a skilled speaker and he was knowledgeable of the scriptures. And so the churches had rest. There was less persecution. Okay? But then it says here that they were edified. Edified means to build up. 
Okay, and again, we talked about 1 Corinthians 12. Each of us, our spiritual gifts are intended to edify, to build up the church. And Saul was an essential member of that church, just as everyone else was. And his addition to their membership edified, it grew, it strengthened the church. We all have something to give to the church. No member in this building is insignificant. No member outside this building, if you're watching on live stream, is insignificant. We all have a purpose within the body of Christ and within the church. So, but Saul, because he, he had submitted to the will of God, was able to do so much that the text says the church was edified because of his presence. That's a natural conclusion. Because of what Barnabas did with Saul, the church was edified. Then it says that they walked in the fear of the Lord. Now that could be a whole other message, what is the fear of the Lord, but just understanding this, they were obedient to God. That's, I mean, that's the end result. They feared God, they respected God, they loved God, and they obeyed God. And then it says, and they walked in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, okay? The, the Spirit's ministry within the church was magnified. It was amplified because of what Paul had done. They, they were able to walk in comfort, the encouragement of the Holy Ghost in their midst. And then the final result here says, and the church was multiplied. They were multiplied. Earlier in the book of Acts, we looked at this idea of multiplication. But because Paul was a soul winner, he was somebody who was preaching the gospel, the church grew. It multiplied. It, and... Uh, like more than addition, more than just one here, one there. It was multiplying. And this, this is what happened because Paul was added to the church. <clears throat> now, in conclusion, okay? Like I said, I'm grateful that Harvest Hills is a welcoming church. But let's take the next step. The next step is an assimilating church. One that brings people into the life of the church. And we saw three steps personally taking an interest and taking people under your wing. Second one is building connections between them and other people in the church. And the third step was advocating for them. The people who are afraid to go talk to them, encouraging them to go and to talk to them, tearing down some of those fears and those doubts that people might have. This is the type of church that we need to be. This is what it means to be a healthy church. And Paul sets that example for us. People who don't have friends, people who aren't involved in anything and feel like they are not connected to the church are not going to stay with the church. So re really assimilation is about connection. We need to be like Barnabas and develop personal relationships, build those bridges, and advocate for, for those new people if we are to be a healthy church. It's going to have a time of invitation this morning.